Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to issue 4082 of the B-U-G-L-E. Turns out after all these years it's pronounced Buchle. But I'm not going to even try to say that out loud. I am Andy Zaltzman, and if you don't believe me, this is my verbal passport. Andrew Zaltzman, United Kingdom. 6 October 1970. Never you mind, it's not polite to discuss a comedian's age. I am in London, spiritual home of the slightly resentful shuffle down the crowded underground train carriage, and more pertinently, I am in my shed due to a slight uh, studio glitching. And what a shed it is. I've locked my almost infinite number of joke-writing monkeys back in their dungeon. They're having a Shakespeare day today, and they're doing pretty well. A couple of decent sonnets out of them this week, if not a full play. One all about the joys of shitting on your hand and eating it. And it's good to see them having a confidence to get a little bit autobiographical, even if it's not strictly Shakespearean in tone for the purists. And I have the shed to myself. Uh, Not just myself, but also my collection of pre-war cricket memorabilia and the restless ghosts of failed jokes. Joining me from the absolute epicentre of the American universe, uh, in other words, the USA, but more specifically, from Washington, D.C., which has seen its 2-0 lead in most assassinations of American presidents whittled down since 1901 to a 2-all scoreline versus the rest of the USA. Joining us once again after far too long a break, it's the wonderful Hari Kondabolu. Hello, Andy. Uh, it's really nice to be back on the Bugle. <laughs> Did I pronounce it right? I, I just want to pronounce I want to be culturally sensitive. Is it Bugle? Uh, look, it's best that we, you just don't even try to say it. That's what I found. We also, by the way, have Chris listening in from a secret pod bunker somewhere in podcast land. Uh, hello, Chris. Hello. Now, it turns out we were in the in India at the same time yeah. last week as I was uh, in, in Mumbai last week. So you, you were there as well, and we'll touch on why you were there later later in the show. But I completely gave up attempting to pronounce any any Hindu words or names because <laughs> I just make a, an absolutely horrific mess of it. And uh, given the slight imperial baggage that I have as a British person in Indra, I figured it was best just to uh, essentially keep silent. Yeah, I mean, yeah, keeping silent would be the good thing because the thing is every time you talk, it's just a memory, a very painful <laughs> memory. <laughs> I mean, luckily, you've also set things up where you can communicate wherever you are, pretty much. Yes, yeah. that was uh, yeah, good, good planning on behalf of, <laughs> uh, of the Brits. It was ba- basically the entire history of the British Empire can be interpreted as a long-term plan by Britain to ensure that we never had to learn languages. Well, well played. It's, it's just not a national skill that we have. <laughs> And um, it's been uh, a few months since you were last uh, on the Bugle. H- how is uh, how's America doing at the moment? You know the answer to that. We all know the answer <laughs> to that. I feel, I feel be- there was a campaign a few years ago called It Gets Better. Have you, are you familiar with that campaign? Oh, I, I recall the name, yes. Well, It Gets Better was meant primarily for gay and lesbian uh, and trans teenagers to let them know it gets better, but it also extended to a larger sense of, to, ch- to young people who are getting bullied, like, it gets better, everything gets better. I think we lied to the kids. <laughs> I think we lied to the children. It does not get better. It gets dramatically worse. Uh, right. I feel terrible about. I've told so many children it gets better, and it, it's. I'm a liar. <laughs> I'm a liar, Andy. This is terrible. Right. Okay, but maybe it's. You, know, you don't want to rush into getting better because you know if you get better when things haven't got as bad as they can possibly get, you don't really feel the benefit of the difference between the absolute pits and when things have got better. So you've got to let it absolutely tank as far as you can possibly let it go, without a full Armageddon breaking out. And then when it does get better, it feels 
all the sweeter. Is that how you live your life? <laughs> uh, yeah. That, uh, there's, uh, I think, was it a, there's a famous saying? They say the darkest hour is right, uh, right before the dawn. Uh, I mean, at what point in the, the, the Trump era of America are we with regard to, to darkness of, of hours? <laughs> Well, it's 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 always unclear because of the nuclear threat, right? Right, because that could, it could be imminent. We could be, uh, you know, imminently dark, or we yep. might have uh, a, a few months. But I, I'm going to, you know, people. What well, do you mean? A few years? No, I, I think we're done by the end of the year. <laughs> okay. Armageddon I, by the end of the year. Yeah, and it and you know what? I welcome it. I've made this point before. <laughs> as long as we all go out together, it's really the only time human beings as a whole have have truly been equal. Right. When we all perish together in a nuclear catastrophe. And there's something beautiful in that. That there is something beautiful. So you're essentially saying that Global Armageddon is the the logical endpoint of Karl Marx's theories of human existence. Correct. There was two ways of going about it, and one way required a great deal of revolution and change and discomfort, and the other is is a quicker solution. Uh, it's kind of like um, when you have to get something done, so you have to get a paper done for school. You can either put in all the work and just strain and strain and strain and and stress yourself out and get it done, or you could drop the class. And. <laughs> We're dropping the class, Andy. I think that's the best thing for us. I mean, look, uh, it's not looking good for God. After the humans go, he'll be 0 for 2, you know? That's kind of, the numbers aren't looking good. I'm sure he's been keeping this going for a while. He knows this is going to fail, but he's, he's sticking with it. Just like a relationship you know is going to end, you keep doing it. Uh, until everyone hates each other, and then eventually you end it, and and God is sticking to that plan, right? That's I mean he is notoriously inflexible. Um, so I mean it's kind of I mean, kind of I kind of understandable he would he would stick with something that maybe he formulated thousands of years ago, as indeed do his followers. So this is Bugle issue four thousand and eighty-two. We are recording on the fourth of October, Thursday, the fourth of October, uh, and on this day in fifteen eleven uh, was the formation of the Holy League, which involved Aragon, the Papal States or Vatican Blasters, as they were known at the time, Spain, the Holy Roman Empire, Henry VIII's England, Real Madrid, and the Venice Knight Riders. And there was some terrific action in the first few seasons of the Holy League. Some truly sensational praying, some of the most intensive competitive Bible reading the fans could possibly wish to see. And, uh, well, the way Bugle favourite Pope Julius II slam-dunked those babies into that font to christen them with just seconds left on the clock in the 15-14 final against Venice. True class from the big pontiff. And uh, on this day, in 2006, WikiLeaks was launched. Um, and to commemorate this uh, historic uh, 12th anniversary, we have a free leak of some confidential information from around the world, including the CIA is currently in deep cover in New Zealand, seeking to replace the Jacinda Ardern government with a puppet regime that will back an American military assault on Antarctica. Vladimir Putin is terrified of milkshakes, and tennis star Novak Djokovic is, in fact, Elvis Presley. You heard them here first. Uh, Bugle 4082, which, by coincidence is the number which, if you type it into the electronic keypad of any hotel door in the world, it will open. That is the International Door Override Code. Oh, shit, I wasn't supposed to say that. Oh, no, they'll probably have to change it now. 
but yeah, I'm hearing that has now been changed. I was just wondering, Andy, if you gave out that uh, door code access ahead of our European tour because you're expecting some visitors. <laughs> well, you know, showbiz is showbiz, Chris. Um, <laughs> our European tour is a two-date European tour. Um, hopefully, it'll be followed by a longer European tour at some point in the uh, in the future, and hopefully, some American bugles next year, and even some Indian bugles. Who knows? Uh, so keep your eyes on this audio space. By eyes, I mean your ears. The European tour. If you're listening to this in time, seventh of October in Manchester, eighth of October in Dublin. Also, four thousand and eighty-two is the number of sleeps between now and the seventh of December, twenty twenty-nine. Uh, the it took me far too long to work that out. The date on which William and Kate are currently scheduled to have their 13th child, at which point we'll be selling off the royal babies at £100 million per prince stroke princess. It will basically be the only thing keeping our economy afloat by then. I'm sick of uh, those people living off the system, all their kids. Yeah, well, when that's, that's basically what we were, we were. We were founded on the idea of... I mean, people talk about, you know, the... Overdependence on the welfare state, and uh, I blame the Queen. The, the Queen has set a very bad example for this. The, the original welfare queen. <laughs> exactly. As always, a section of the bugle is going straight in the bin, and, uh, well, it's uh, awards season at the moment. Uh, more on this later in the show. And uh, we've just uh, received the uh, shortlist for the fictional non-fiction book of the year and some outstanding entries uh, in history uh, by Professor B.N. Carbaretto when Harry met Staley about the meeting between Harry S. Truman and Joseph Stalin. Uh, Rabbi Elsinore McClute, Was Jesus a Terrapin? Fairly self-explanatory. Julian and Beryl Plugfield's A History of Flobbing, Changing Mores in Public Expectoration. And Dr Ian Mildrip's Bubonicht Plague, Why the 14th Century Black Death Was a German Hoax. Uh, terrific travel book nominated by Ursula Frout, Boing Boing to Babylon Through Persia on a Pogo Stick. And uh, in the science category... Uh, by various authors, Why Benches Work, Writings in the Science of Sitting, and by Kevin Hercules, Mosquitoes Are Not Muslims, Myth-Busting Unpopular Conceptions. A couple of outstanding business books uh, have attracted the attention of the judges this year as well, by Sir Larkin Joffel, The Prophet Penguin, How to Be Ice Cold But Stay Grounded, and Elark Pontix, Digging for Eggs, Failed Adventures in Chicken Mining. And just a couple of sports books also uh, on the shortlist. Uh, W.Q. Marwell Flaggard, Losing for Life, How Plummeting Down a Hill on a Tray Every Day Can Improve Your Self-Confidence. And an outstanding uh, new book from Killigan Jelps, uh, Another Loss for the Weeping Lemon, Nominative Determinism in Professional Wrestling. So we'll announce the winners as soon as we hear them. That section, in the bin. Top story this week, and Hari, it's been a, an interesting time for the American patriarchy over the last uh, couple of weeks with the uh, the hearings into uh, Judge Kavanaugh and his alleged wrongdoings uh, as, a, as a teenager. And um, it's raised some very interesting philosophical questions amidst the uh, welter of, uh, frankly, appalling behaviour by largely uh, American white men including the question if a man cannot sexually assault someone as a teenager and still expect to hold public office at some point in the future, when on earth can he do it? Oh, that's, that's a very fair question. It's yep. one that uh, many of us have been grappling with over the, the last few months. And the, the answer, of course, is apparently, it was a trick question. Your question was a trick question. You should uh, never sexually assault a woman. Oh, right. I mean, I mean, I mean that really throws a, a spanner in the works of the patriarchy. Um, yeah, I, 
It, it, it was a tried and true st- strategy, but yeah. now, no, no longer. Well, Donald Trump's reaction to this has been, uh, I found rather fascinating, because he was sort of praised for his his dignity, initially. <laughs> and all these things clearly are on a relative scale. And he was, by reports, absolutely dosed up to the eyeballs on uh, decoromoz alone, an artificial dignity-enhancing steroid, and anti-misogynaxazine which is a powerful male chauvinism suppressant. I mean, absolutely dosed up. But, and his responses to the case, within the context of Trumpian behaviour, were, you know, relatively calm. They were like King Solomon calmly dividing the final sandwich of a picnic between his squabbling children. A very impressive effort from a man who is, of course, on record as overtly advocating sexual assault. But inevitably... He lapsed. As sure as night follows day, as sure as headache follows running headfirst into a concrete lamppost, as sure as shit follows food, Donald Trump lapsed. And as the old saying goes, a leopard can only wear an all-over polka dot bodysuit for so long until he rips it off and roars, Captain Spotty's back in town. And at a political rally in Mississippi, he mimicked Dr Ford and another extraordinary display of his trademark taunting weaselry from the Beethoven of boorishness. I don't know! What neighborhood was it in? I don't know. Where's the house? I don't know. Upstairs, downstairs, where was it? I don't know. But I had one beer. That's the only thing I remember. Uh, how come every single one of him, of his impressions sound like him? <laughs> He's very bad at impressions. They all, Jeb Bush sounds like him. Hillary Clinton sounds like him. Like, he pretty much just does himself. He's a one, he's a one trick pony. <laughs> Yeah, and, yeah, I mean, you leave a pony in a shed and then return to the shed in a week, it's going to be absolutely horrific. Um, Even Republicans were appalled by uh, his latest uh, efforts. Jeff Blake described it as kind of appalling. Senator Lisa Murkowski from uh, Alaska said the president's comments mocking Dr. Ford were wholly inappropriate and, in my view, unacceptable, to which Trump responded by punching the air and shouting, yes, mission accomplished, bullseye, bang on the button, middle stump cartwheeling out the ground. Maybe not that one. That was basically just playing directly to that core element uh, of of his vote. And I guess we need to see it in in the context of the political situation in America. The midterms are approaching just a month or so away now. And it's very important for Trump to appeal to those key marginal voter groups like misogynists quits sexual assault fans and general non-specific shitheads also if you remember uh women are only uh half a vote in this country oh yeah no that is that is important to remember that isn't it that's something he's kept in mind throughout this like hmm good thing women's votes only count as half a vote otherwise i could possibly be in trouble this could be a terrible mistake for my party (laughs) if the math was not working in my favor he was asked, Hari, whether he had a message to men. And, you know, as a man, I hang on his every word. And, you know, it's very important that someone, somewhere, puts the view of middle-aged white men. And he said this. He said, it's a very scary time for young men in America when you can be guilty of something that you may not be guilty of. This is a very, very, very difficult time. Now... I mean, it's not new, of course, for men in America to be accused of something untrue. Some, for example, have been accused of being guilty of, for example, not being born in the USA and therefore being ineligible to become president. And or indeed Mexicans just being accused of being rapists collectively. 
so it's clearly something that Trump has done some some intensive research into uh, men being accused of something they haven't done. Yeah, I mean, if I heard that quote out of context, I'm like, finally, uh, a president who talks plainly about the failed criminal justice system and the fact that African-Americans are imprisoned at a ridiculously high rate. But then I, I heard rest of it, and then I realized that we lived in the same world we lived in moments earlier. Oh, a dance as old as American politics itself. I mean, how come we... Uh, how, I mean, here's one... This is a, a basic thing, but everyone keeps calling uh, this sexual misconduct. They keep saying Kavanaugh was accused of sexual misconduct. He's accused of attempted rape, like... Sexual misconduct, it almost sounds fun. Like, it almost sounds, it almost sounds like uh, you were just a little naughty. You engaged in bad conduct. It sounds like, uh, you know, if, there, if it was an S&M situation, you know, if I, if I was a, a submissive and, and the woman was the dom, if, if she said, someone's been engaging in sexual misconduct, like, it just feels way too pleasant considering what he's being... Uh, accused of which again is attempted rape yes uh yes it's uh he's not come out of it with the kind of judicial dignity you would necessarily want from someone aspiring to the position that he has been uh been put forward for and i guess that the polit it's hard to understand really the i mean it's still uh, is he going to be nominated in the end is it going to go through do you think of course <laughs> I mean, are you kidding me? Of course. You know how this story ends. Right. Of course. I, I hate the fact that, like, the women to sexual predator ratio will be three to two of the Supreme <laughs> Court. Women are barely edging their natural predators. <laughs> Just barely. Right. That is an extremely depressing way of putting it. Um, well, that's what I do, Andy. <laughs> that's the kind of comedy I engage in. <laughs> You knew that when you asked me to be on this podcast. <laughs> I make people sad, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> but clearly the political prize for the Republicans, control of the ethical values of the Supreme Court for a generation, is way too great to allow ephemeral distractions such as ethical values to, to intervene. And it, it strikes me, Hari, that the system, the whole system for the, sort of filling the Supreme Court is completely baffling it sort of tiptoes that fine line between historic democratic tradition patently obvious legislative madness and trainee level totalitarianism and and we in britain because it's lifetime tenures isn't it when you get a point you're basically there uh, for life and we in britain are not necessarily a, a nation to lecture people about giving prominent public figures a position in perpetuity but at least when we do it your majesty we constitutionally prevent them from actually doing anything so the Queen is essentially just a lifetime bauble on our national Christmas tree. I mean, in addition uh, to the you know accusation of attempted rape, another reason, even though there really shouldn't be another reason why you shouldn't be on the Supreme Court if that's actually a thing that's uh, out there, I think another uh, reason maybe he shouldn't be on the Supreme Court is his behavior was completely out of control during uh, during the hearings, uh, during the confirmation hearings. He was very angry. Uh, you could see his cards very clearly. And I think the biggest thing is that a judge has to come off as not partisan. And it's hard to come off as not partisan when you claim that this is all part of a conspiracy that's being orchestrated by the Clintons. 
there's <laughs> something about that which immediately strikes uh, you as a little odd. You know, I've never heard another judge say that this is a part of a political conspiracy by the Democrats. And also, it's obviously not a political conspiracy by the Democrats. The, the Democrats do not have the ability to pull that off. <laughs> uh, just basic logistics. Yeah. Well, also just the lack of cohesion, agreement. Uh, uh, I'll give you an example of why I believe this. Donald Trump is president. Um, so based on that, I don't think the Democratic Party is capable of of any kind of conspiracy considering that they lost to a, a reality TV star. And also it leaves seems to leave your political uh, system slightly open to, uh, well, to manipulation, clearly. Uh, the balance of uh, the political neutrality and uh, the, the highest branch of your judicial system. It comes down to the chance of when Supreme Court judges happen to die, happen to shuffle off to bang their gavels in the great courthouse in the sky. That's a bit weird, but also it's laying down the plot for an absolutely sensational TV series about a series of politically motivated serial killers who specialise in bumping off Supreme Court justices. That is a series <laughs> I want to see. I mean, I feel like the better system is if the judges got to pick their colleagues, if someone leaves, just because that's really more American than anything else. It's kind of who you know, and it's like <laughs> Ruth Bader Ginsburg, like, oh, I had a friend in law school, you have to meet them, and then, you know, you just kind of hang out and you're like oh this is we're all really gelling here this is a good situation it feels like a real like healthy real world scenario uh i mean the tv show you know you want yeah. that kind of you want someone to be the bad boy you want someone to be the level-headed one like i feel like they should you know pick who their colleague is and i i think they would likely make a pretty good choice you know because they're all judges and all you would think they would have good judgment in picking the judge, they want to <laughs> to be a judge with them. So you're saying you shouldn't leave it to the personal whims of a president with absolutely no experience in the judicial system. Correct. It should be a, uh, the personal whims of uh, eight other people. <laughs> that is I just want to. I'm just Re waiting for things to to escalate to a situation where it's just somebody's niece, <laughs> someone's niece or nephew. Just got, got a position on the Supreme Court. Just because people are like, all right, f*** it. F*** it. This whole concept of was it plenary power for the president, complete and absolute power. We've got a hint of the Roman Empire about it. comes from a, from a, a Latin word, including... How did that end, by the way? Yeah, well, in uh, basically people drinking liquid lead and having sex with horses, I think, from memory. I mean, that is, a, that is edited highlights. That's a um, couple of businesses to invest in now. <laughs> <laughs> a lead business and a uh, you know a, a sexually permissive horse business. <laughs> That's it. If there is an economic message from this podcast, it is buy lead and buy horny horses. <laughs> um, and it's it's not just the Supreme Court; it's, it's the whole idea of sort of presidential pardons and, and things like that. And I guess America, if you are wondering why your president appears to treat your precious democratic and judicial heritage like an overindulged child given A, a bow and arrow, and B, a priceless Ming vase and told he can do whatever he wants because he's a special, special boy, that might be your explanation because basically you've told your presidents that they are special, special boys. And if you then get a president who A, thinks he's very, very special and B, has the behavioural age of a six-year-old boy, you've brought it on yourself, America. You have brought this on yourself.
Buglers, you might need a lie down after this excellent show, but for those of you who do not have a Casper mattress, this will be a tragically inferior experience. As Casper-owning buglers will no doubt tell you, their natural geometry has never been cradled so well. They will also let you know that that one-third part of their life they spend in bed is that much more comfortable than yours. I know from my personal experience of Casper mattresses that when you wake up after a night's sleep on a Casper mattress, you come up with even better cricket statistics and puns than if you've slept on a pile of forks. As well as three types of mattress, they also make other useful bed-related paraphernalia, like sheets and pillows. Everyone likes pillows. Literally, everyone likes pillows. Even evil people like pillows. You can be sure of your purchase with Casper's 100-night risk-free sleep-on-it trial. Get $50 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash bugle and using the promo code bugle at the checkout. Terms and conditions apply. Uh, just some breaking news uh, coming from America, actually. Uh, President, uh, President Trump, who will today announce a government investigation into whether women legally own their own wombs, is also reportedly considering introducing, alongside the increasingly outdated judicial system, a new prejudicial system. The prejudicial system will pass preemptive judgments, rulings and offhand comments about cases which have not yet come to court. Trump will soon announce the first batch of Supreme Court pre-justices who will have the power to prejudge Legal issues which have not yet happened, although their pre-rulings will be restricted to events that may or may not occur within the next 65 years. In a parallel move alongside the right to give presidential pardons, the president will also now be entitled to dispense presidential convictions. A spokes lackey for Mr Trump explained, it simply joins up the logical loop. If the president can let someone out the slammer because he feels like it, it seems to make constitutional sense for him to be able to lock someone up and throw away the key on a personal whim as well. It's what the founding fathers would have wanted. And using his new prejudicial powers, Mr Trump is reportedly poised to announce a conviction for James Comey for aiding and abetting the St Valentine's Day massacre. Posthumous charges and a guilty verdict against John McCain for absconding from his post for five and a half consecutive years during the Vietnam War. An eight-year jail term for Hillary Clinton for witchcraft. A new gulag in North Dakota for journalists from CNN and the New York Times. And 12 years in the newly reopened Alcatraz, a jail from when America was last great trademark for Colin Kaepernick for unlicensed kneeling with malice aforethought. Andy, John McCain's dead. Are they going to dig him up and then imprison him? I would think so. I mean, oh, you wouldn't put anything past... We we live in uncertain times, Harry. And the previous assumptions about how these things go are out the window. I mean, in Britain, we, we have a bit of track record for this. Uh, they dug up Oliver Cromwell and uh, posthumously executed him. <laughs> is that true? Yeah, it is true. Yep. Really? <laughs> yeah. When the oh, mon- man. <laughs> when the monarchy had been re-established, <laughs> they, they dug up the corpse of Cromwell. <laughs> and um, I think they hung, drawn, drew, and courted him. Even, which... Oh my Jesus Christ! <laughs> what the f- f- is wrong with you? Jeez! <laughs> I mean, the whole Guy Fox thing I've always found very amusing. That alone, like, and not only the fact that they killed him the way they did, but also the fact you all celebrate this with fireworks, which, just, which is just mocking him from beyond the grave. <laughs> But th- that's just wow! They dug him up yep. and they they drew and quartered him. Yep. And, and then what? They buried him again? Well, I think they they stuck they stuck various bits of him on various spikes around uh, around around Britain, and uh, his head ended up in a college in Cambridge. I think uh, I don't know quite how it got there, but I mean there are 
I mean, I think there are probably bits of Oliver Cromwell still still just lying around. <laughs> I think there's one in a motorway service station oh, on the M40. An empire. You had an empire. How is that possible? Well, we were building an empire at the time, and this was, this was the 1660s, so it was kind of the time when we were passing on our values to, for example, the United <laughs> States of America. That's why I don't think it's so ridiculous that this will reoccur. <laughs> uh... Awards news now and some uh, very exciting news uh, reaching us uh, just this week. And that is that uh, Bugle star Hari Kondabolu is the greatest comedian in India. Um, (laughs) Congratulations, Hari. You are GQ India's Comedian of the Year. That's Uh, correct. And they said, there is little doubt that Hari Kondabolu is the wittiest, most insightful comedian of our time. Yeah, I'm glad they uh, they used the copy I sent them. <laughs> I mean, li- is there any doubt? I mean, they say little doubt. I mean, they're raising, just leaving a little gap open there for the rest of us. I mean, it's it was kind of remarkable. My initial thought when I was uh, named for this was uh, someone cancelled. Um, <laughs> but, I, you know, I, clearly as a comic, I have no shame and I agreed to, <laughs> to do this. Uh, I got there. Everyone was... An incredibly famous Bollywood star. Um, the thing is, as an American, I did not know any of them. I did not know who <laughs> any of them were. So it's really strange when there's a bunch of incredibly attractive, famous people, uh, each with like millions and millions of Instagram and Twitter followers. That's how you measure these kinds of things. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, who people worship around the world. I had no idea who they were. I know. <laughs> the thing is, at least I had interest. I don't think they had interest in me because uh, they wouldn't look at me. Right. And that seems to indicate that they did not have much interest in my presence. Uh, there was other awards that were given uh, to different people. Who, you know, a lot of them were actors, some writers, but mo- mostly actors. Uh, it's very masturbatory. And everyone got a huge ovation. And then when it was my turn to accept my award and to give a speech, uh, they did not clap. They did not clap, Andy. Uh, I felt that immediately. It felt like high school all over again. And uh, and then I gave the speech and I made them laugh. And then they clapped because they're like, okay, he deserves it. Right. This clown has amused us. <laughs> but uh, it was a, it was it feels good to be the GQ India comedian of the year. Uh, partly because I'm hoping this will lead to my parents. Uh, you know, not telling relatives in India that I'm a lawyer. Um, <laughs> it might be good for them to finally be able to say what I do for a living. Right. Um, so that's that's extremely exciting. There was a time, Andy, when my brother actually was in a rap group. He was a hype man in a rap group, and I, you know, I'm a comedian. And so when they had to tell people in India, relatives in India, what we did, they would say, "Our older son is a lawyer." And our younger son is also still alive. <laughs> so, but yes, a, a nice, a nice little award for for Harry uh, There has been a female winner of the Nobel Physics Prize for the first time in five and a half decades. Uh, Donna Strickland was part of a uh, of a team involving uh, Arthur Ashkin and Gerard Moreau, who won the. Uh, the nine million Swedish Kroner uh, prize uh, for their work uh, dealing with beams of light, laser physics, and that is as far as my knowledge of that branch of science goes. And this shows you something, Harry, about the uh, 
the place of women in science just recently um she was deemed not important enough to have a wikipedia entry after uh, someone attempted to put up a wikipedia entry for her and to put that in context i have a wikipedia entry of moderate size and I mean that shows you how low science is, and particularly women in science is, in the global consciousness. Uh, partly, maybe science has brought this on itself. These self-proclaimed experts telling us we can't live in space without special kit, or that if we eat nothing but burgers, uh, we'll get a sore tum tum. Let me live my own life, science. Or that we can't, <laughs> or that we can't always get what we want. That was a famous research paper by Professor M. P. Jagger and Dr. K. Richards, uh, nineteen sixty-nine. That, uh, that paper into the psychological impossibility of ultimate happiness in an acquisitive consumerist economy. It was part of a broader academic research project by Jagger and Richards entitled Let IT Bleed, advocating allowing the difficulties oh. faced by the emerging but still infant information technology industry to play out so that whilst there may be commercial casualties along the way, these would provide the learning experience that would facilitate the, the achievement of the full potential of modern technology. The collection... Uh, let IT Bleed also included a piece on the influence of the collaborative work of female cancer doctors and surgeons in the oncology departments of hospitals in Hong Kong and the Japanese city Kitakyushu, a paper eventually entitled Hong Kit Onk Women. Uh, there we go. That's really what that was all for. Hong, Hong Kit Onk <laughs> Women. No, I got it, Andy. Yep. yep. I mean, it's it, was just, a, it was a long journey. I felt- I felt bad because, you know, currently, it, you know, I'm in D.C., you're in your shed in London. For the first time ever, we actually can see each other while we do this remotely <laughs> because there's a Skype set up. So there's, I see you on a screen and you know, usually I can just fake a laugh. And I got really self-conscious about he can see me not responding. And I, I feel phony faking it to his face. Right. Because normally I could fake the laugh while doing something else, like I could just write something down, <laughs> Andy. Um, but it was so, it was harder today. We just had Chris coming on the Skype call there with a, a look of pure evil in his face. Pure. <laughs> yeah, Harry, I have to look at this every week, Harry. I can't get away with that. <laughs> <laughs> Bloody lunacy. <laughs> Sport now, and the UK is aiming to host the 2030 Football World Cup if. Uh, they can fight off rival bids from the likes of Las Vegas, Qatar, again, the Cayman Islands, and the Venetian in Macau, the world's largest casino, which FIFA is reportedly considering, quotes, for football reasons, to spread the game to new areas that have not hosted a World Cup before. We've never held a World Cup inside a casino. Therefore, it would be great for the ordinary people of the Venetian in Macau to be able to see great footballers of the world at first hand. It's going to be tough. Uh, for uh, for Britain to uh, to win this uh, this contest, but it's all part of a larger scheme to attract uh, between forty and sixty major sporting events to the UK over the next fifteen to twenty years. Count me in as Britain desperately tries to distract itself from its post Brexit slide into a chasm of irrelevance and recrimination. As Britain strides confidently forward into its glorious post Brexit future as a beacon of hope for all humanity. What 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 happened there? Carry on, Mr. Zaltzman. Um, so, 40 to 60 major sporting events. It's, it's what we're all about. Count us in. And uh, in America, it's, uh, it's post-season time, Hari. In, uh, in baseball, um, how, did, how did the Mets go this year? That's a very cruel question. <laughs> right. That's basically like asking me, how's America doing? Um, you know how it's doing. Right. The Mets uh, dealt with a lot of injuries again this year. 
did not have a particularly strong season. Uh, apparently, a key part of the game is not just pitching, but hitting. Ah. Oh. Right. And the Mets forgot that there's two parts. They did the pitching part quite well. Jacob deGrom, their star pitcher, I think his ERA was 1.68 or 1.7, which is incredibly low. One of the greatest seasons of all time. But he had a losing record until the very end of the season because the Mets decided, well, this guy is so good, I'm sure we can provide him with no runs and we'll still win, <laughs> which proves to be false. You need to score at least one run to win. Right. Um, so that was that was uh, very difficult. Also, uh, the Mets still paying Bobby Bonilla, right, a player that retired uh, decades ago. But <laughs> they uh, they created for those of you who don't know they they the Mets at a certain point were signing these deals where uh, if they wanted to get rid of a player instead of giving him uh, a buyout, what they would do is they'd uh, you know break the money into a bunch of small pieces and. Uh, you know, you'd get it over the course of twenty or thirty years. So, let's say instead of a five million dollar buyout, you'd get like twenty million over the course of twenty years, like a million a year. Which intuitively and it doesn't seem to make sense. Well, that's more money. But at this time, the Mets uh, were in bed with uh, Bernie Madoff, and uh, they assumed right. that if they give Uncle Bernie the five million, <laughs> he'll turn it into ten million, and the ten million into twenty and the forty, and so that five million becomes you know a hundred million dollars. They don't. They didn't know how. <laughs> they didn't know that they just gave it to this man who apparently is made of magic. <laughs> and as a result, uh, the Mets lost hundreds of millions of dollars, <laughs> have been a a third tier franchise in a, a city that has two tiers. Right. There's two teams and they're <laughs> that incredibly bad. And Bobby Benet, who has not, again, he has not played since the late 90s, early 2000s. <laughs> Is still making one point three million dollars every season. Wow! Well, the Mets are not doing well, Andy. It's not going well. Right, but I mean, but, but Bernie Madoff will be out, out of prison within what one hundred and forty years to sort it all out. So I mean, it's you just got to ride out the difficult phase before he can come and clean up his mess. I wonder if he still watches the playoffs. <laughs> I wonder if Bernie Madoff is watching the Mets play. This season, while he's in prison, like, oh, they could have used the money. Uh, <laughs> oh, they needed another bat. Uh, they could have used some more pitching. I, oh, man. This is the team that's about $50 million short. <laughs> well, Bernie, if you're listening in uh, whatever part of the American ju- uh, prison system you currently reside, do email us and uh, tell us <laughs> your advice for how to get the Mets back on track. Uh, in other sports news, England's cricket tour of Sri Lanka begins uh, next week, and I will be part of the uh, the BBC's Test Match Social uh, coverage of the uh, of the Test matches and the One Day International. So, if you're a cricket fan, uh, do tune into that. It'll be my, me talking about cricket with some other people who have played cricket to a considerably higher level than I have. <laughs> um, and uh, and don't forget the uh, live bugle dates are coming up if you hear this in time. Seventh uh, of October in Salford, I think there's a few tickets left for that. Eighth of October in Dublin, and fourteenth of November in London. I have a one-off stand-up gig in Toronto on the twentieth of October, and my end-of-year review show is at Soho Theatre from the eighteenth of December to the sixth of January. Hari, have you got anything to plug? Yes, very exciting news. I'll be performing in London, December third to the fifteenth. 
at the Soho Theater. Hey. I finally, I, I show up. I'm finally in town, December 3rd to the 15th. Uh, and also I'll be in Berlin. Uh, do you have any German fans of this podcast? I Andy? think there are there are a few. Um, we had some that flew from Germany to see our London live oh, show. Oh, that's right. Yeah, so yeah. they do, yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, I will be in Berlin as well in late November, uh, the 28th and 29th. Well, also, are, you, are you receiving the German Comedian of the Year award? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> also, I have a bunch of tour dates coming up uh, uh, this year. Uh, this month, in fact. I'll be in Florida uh, October 5th through the 7th. I'll be in Tampa on the 5th. Fort Lauderdale on the 6th and Orlando on the 7th. And if I survive those three dates uh, in Florida, I will be in Chicago on October 11th at Thalia Hall, October 12th in Minneapolis at Pantages Theater, Columbus, Ohio on the 23rd of October, Providence, Rhode Island on the 24th of October, Boston, Massachusetts at uh, on October 26th at the Wilbur, which you are familiar with, Andy. Yes. I believe that's when I last... Saw you. And uh, New Brunswick, New Jersey on the 27th of October. And uh, then we close out the American touring calendar in Hamden, Connecticut, which is near New Haven and Hartford, at the Space Ballroom. So I'll be uh, all over America again, pending that I'm not killed in Florida. (laughs) Uh, You can find all those uh, dates at harikundabolu.com. As I've said before, probably Google is your best bet. Just type in uh, what you think my name sounds like. And uh, <laughs> you should be directed to a website, harikundabolu.com. But yes, a lot of big Chicago, Boston, all over the place, Minneapolis. Yeah. Uh, it's been a delight to have you uh, back on the show. Uh, there will be a less big gap before Harry's next appearance. It will be in two weeks' time on the 18th of October. So do tune into that. Uh, next week, we will have highlights of the live Bugle shows from Manchester and Dublin, featuring Alice Fraser and David O'Doherty. Until then, Buglers... Goodbye. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth, Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you, you, you must be so excited. Listen now.